Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Gene Principe, who has covered the Edmonton Oilers for Sportsnet pretty much ever since I can remember watching the Oilers. Uh, and when I think of the Oilers, honestly, Gene, I, I think of your voice. So thank you so much for coming on, and how's it going? Alex, uh, thank you. I should ask, how old are you? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm 24. So pretty... yeah, well, well, you know what? You're bang on. Cause I started doing this in 98. So yeah. that's uh, pretty much covered your, uh, your lifetime. I'm not sure how that makes me feel, but that is a fact. Yeah. And, and maybe can we just start in how you, uh, started in the industry? Um, when did you first think you might want to kind of pursue a career in sports journalism? You know, for me, uh, and I, I think this happens with, uh, lots of people is you just love sports. I love playing sports, uh, soccer player, hockey player, basketball, volleyball. Um, and then, you know, touch the sports you would play with your friends right outside street hockey, football, uh, you know, pick a sport, any sport. I, I was, uh, I would say I was kind of like average at, at most, uh, maybe, you know, like, uh, even the professionals, sometimes you have a, an above average game. Sometimes you have a below average game, but soccer was the one sport I, I thought yeah. I might have some kind of future in. And so I was actually, uh, uh, trying out for the under 16 Alberta team. Oh, wow. Back. Oh, let's see. So it'd be like 1983, 82, 83. Okay. I was trying out for them and I was cut and I thought, well, you know, I think my dream of wearing the Italy jersey for the you know, World Cup was was shot. Uh, so I thought, well, you know, what would I like to do? And I thought, well, geez, if I can't be a pro athlete, it'd be fun to cover pro athletes. I already had a love for sports. And, and I, I also loved watching sports casters. It okay. wasn't just watching the sport. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, funny, my wife, we watch a lot of Bundesliga with uh, Bayern and Serie A soccer and a lot of times she'll say, well, I didn't even really hear what they said because she's so focused on watching the match where as focused as I was on watching the sport, I really was in tune with who who was doing the game, how they were doing it, what catchphrases they had. So I, it was sort of a, a, a double love for sports, uh, both as someone involved in it uh, and then as someone as just a viewer. Uh, so that was kind of when I thought uh, maybe this is something that, I could follow through with and take seriously and do professionally. So that would have been, well, I guess about 40 years ago when, when I first kind of had that real feeling of wanting to do that. Now, I just wanted to go off. You, you, you said that you'd like to, to look at the broadcasters and how they perform. I know you, you've mentioned Ron McLean, but what kind of yeah. people have you really looked up to at that time in your life as, as broadcasters? Well, certainly, yeah, Ron was somebody, uh, you know, it's funny when you watch somebody on TV, uh, you kind of automatically just think, they're, oh, they're way older than me. And, you know, Ron and I are maybe five, six years apart, which, you know, it's not, wow. yeah, it's not, it's not that much, right? To, to, but to think back in the day when I'm, let's say I'm 22, uh, Ron didn't seem to be 28 or 29 or 27. He seemed to be 38 or 39 or 42, like quite a bit older. Just because I, I think it's a position where you just assume maybe that people are, are, are older. And also, I think it's just when you're 22 years old, everybody looks old to you. Right? <laughs> it's just kind of the way the way it is. Uh, but when I was growing up, I, I really enjoyed watching uh, Howard Cosell, yeah. uh, who was uh, unbelievable, you know, a lawyer turned broadcaster who had um, 
a set of words that he would use that, you know, and he had this cadence with his voice. And I remember as a kid on Monday night football, I would watch the halftime show where he would do kind of a wrap up of the weekend, you know, back then you, you, you were lucky to watch a couple of games. Yeah. You certainly didn't have access to what we have today. And then it was kind of bedtime, but then it was about 9 PM local time in Edmonton. And, and then it was time to, to go to bed. Um, I also really liked uh, a couple of guys who Don, uh, Don Cricky, who did a lot of uh, NFL. And uh, I liked uh, Dick Enberg, who did NFL. He did baseball. Uh, Bob Costas. Uh, you know, Bob's not uh, as as necessarily as old as some of those gentlemen. And some of them, unfortunately, have passed away. But, you know, listening to Bob do the games, I remember Joe Garagiola was uh, the color man for, for baseball. And Tony Kubek. Uh, guys who, you know, back then, again, we would get the MLB game of the week on Saturday. So you would wait all week in Edmonton mm -hmm. uh, to watch a game on a Saturday. So it, it was really uh, something special where nowadays, right, you you hop on a, an MLB network or NHL. and You might flip through and see six, seven games slash six, seven sets of announcers over the course of a night where back then it was really a specialty, uh, you know, NFL, Dandy, Don Meredith. I love it. So lots of, lots of older uh, and some now deceased uh, announcers that I really enjoyed uh, watching when I was growing up. And I, I just thought, wow, what, what a neat job to have is to, to talk about pro sports. So I think those are some of the, the, the mentors or people that I watched and listened to and thought, boy, one day I wouldn't mind being like them. And and how did you get started in the in the industry? Like, where did you take that passion and, and make a career out of it? Yeah, I, well, I think so. You're, you're let's say I'm 15 and I'm in high school and thinking, okay, I want to be this broadcaster. So I ended up applying uh, to Nate, which is called the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, uh, in Edmonton, to be in the broadcasting uh, uh, forum. And I graduated in 1984, which is a long, long time ago, and. It was the spring of 1985 uh, that I actually got a job. And, you know, for some of your viewers or listeners, uh, you know, I worked at what's called the pop shop. I sold pot oh, for wow. six or eight months. You know, I had, a, I had what many people call a real job, right? Because I was waiting to get into school, wasn't sure, needed to work. And so that's what I did. It was a part-time job that became full-time for about half a year. And then I started in broadcasting in the spring of 85. Uh, in uh, January of 87, I went to Kamloops TV uh, and they had uh, basically a TV station that also was a radio station. And it was a wonderful place to do my uh, work placement, my work mm -hmm. experience, because I did radio TV, I did news and sports, I did reporting and anchoring. And really for them, I was really cheap and sometimes free labor. Yeah. So it was fantastic for them. And it was unbelievable for me because I'm like, wow, look at this experience. You know, I, I went to school with a group of about 20 people and, and different varying options and what they wanted to do. But a lot of the guys at that time who were in my class and wanted to be on air, you had two options. You either went to a smaller center and you kind of got the experience that I did, or you hung around a big city and you got to work in a big newsroom or a big sports room but really didn't get kind of a hands-on experience. You, you would just sort of be around. It was great to learn, but you wouldn't actually practice what you got into uh, the business for. So I was lucky enough to do that. And then I'll kind of rattle on. I went from Kamloops, BC. I went to Grand Prairie, Alberta, which is about four hours north of Edmonton. Uh, then I went to Lethbridge, Alberta, which is about five hours south of uh, Calgary. Uh, or five hours, about two hours south of Calgary. 
moved to Winnipeg, moved to Toronto, moved back to Edmonton. So it was it was quite a journey, all done at that time when I was uh, single. I met my wife when I was in Winnipeg. So I was able to get a lot of the moving done before uh, we started having kids. Mm-hmm. And and what was it like to to land like that job with your hometown hockey team with the Edmonton Oilers in 1998? Yeah, it was unbelievable. You know, for me, I, I'd always wanted – I had sort of – two things I wanted to do. I either wanted to come back, work in Edmonton and work with the Oilers, or I wanted to work in the U.S. And uh, I don't know why when I was a kid uh, watching all those hours and weekends and days and nights of sports, I loved the Philadelphia teams. The Flyers were my favorite hockey team. The Eagles were my favorite football team. The 76ers baseball, the Phillies uh, for uh, for baseball and 76ers for basketball. I don't even have a reason for it. I think the only thing I can think of is that I, I first was attracted to the Flyers and then it just carried over to the other Philadelphia sports. Mm-hmm. So I either wanted to go to the U.S. or come back home. But I didn't really want to stay anywhere in between if I if I didn't have to. So I had looked into some, you know, I got an agent. Uh, mm-hmm. One, kind of, it, it was kind of like, uh, and I know so many of the young broadcasters do it today, You you would just send out, uh, you know, nowadays, I guess you would send a link uh, or, uh, I don't know, some kind of technological thing that I don't know about. Back then, you would just send a, a letter and uh, a VHS tape in one of those yellow sort of vanilla envelopes and away it went. <laughs> and uh, then you would wait to hear back. And I had some bites from people uh, in the States and I was kind of teeter-tottering on what what to do, uh, depending on what was available. And then the opportunity came up in Edmonton. And I said, I don't think I can pass this up, you know, um, good for family, uh, good for work. So here I am, you know, sitting here 24 plus years later, um, still involved with the Oilers. So it's, it's been great. I, I, I kind of joke that I don't get paid by the Oilers, but I get paid because of the Oilers, yeah. uh, because of the fact that I've been able to kind of tie myself in with the organization, which, you know, listen, this might come across as name dropping or phone number dropping, but when you get Gretzky's phone number and Paul Coffey yeah. and Glenn Anderson and Yari Curry, for me, I mean, that is like, who would think of a kid in Edmonton that would get that opportunity? You know, we saw Gretzky in Florida recently and he's hello how are you if you need anything just let me know and i'm thinking oh my gosh it's Wayne Gretzky, you know so it, that that's been unbelievable uh for me a real special treat for an edmontonian to work in edmonton and cover the oilers and, and what do you think you bring to the broadcast as i know you mentioned you're a flyers fan but also i guess now probably a, a oilers fan yeah. to the broadcast well, I guess my, my first reaction is stupidity. Um, I, I hope I, I think maybe a better word would be entertainment, yeah. uh, levity, uh, interest, um, a few laughs. Uh, I think one of the things that I've always tried to do is uh, is not uh, make, I would make fun of myself before I make fun of somebody else. Uh, I feel like it's a, a, a privilege to have what I have, but also a privilege when Connor McDavid comes over to talk to you after two periods of play or, or after the game or before the game, they're doing me a favor. And that's the way I see it. And in essence, if they're doing me a favor, that gives us insight for people at home to watch and listen mm-hmm. to see. So the last thing I want to do is, is upset players who my approach is when we're done, I hope that when they leave, they don't have to say anything, but that they're thinking, Oh, if that guy asks again for an interview, I'll do it. 
Yeah. As opposed to going, well, I'm not going back to see that guy ever again. I mean, he was brutal, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Questions were were not right, or he he wasn't very fair, or whatever he or she might might think. So uh, for me, I, I just like to have some fun, and uh, it, it kind of started after the Oilers. Uh, you would have just been a kid in '06 when the Oilers yeah. made it to the Cup final, and uh, the city was just on fire with excitement. And then the next year they had a really bad year. And I was kind of like, you know, sports is to me is fun. So when someone's had a, a good day at work, a bad day, a terrible day at work, they come home, have a bite to eat, maybe have something to drink and they flip on the TV. The last thing they want to hear is more bad news or the Oilers aren't doing this or the power play can't do this, or they've lost X amount in a row. So I really decided to, to take a positive approach. Okay. What can I find that that's something that we can, we can make into something that people go, oh, I didn't know that player had points in four straight games or that the Oilers have scored the first goal in, in five straight. Just just something yeah. good uh, that because to me, I'm the I'm kind of like the first impression every game. I'm yeah. the first guy generally that they see. And I don't want to come off going, oh, they've lost 10 in a row and the same percentage is below 900 or whatever the numbers yeah. are. And, and, and you know, Alex, yeah. uh, whether you're in Ottawa, Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, Vancouver, uh, pick a Canadian city for sure. And they know exactly what's going on with their NHL team. In fact, they might know more than I do. You're not going to you're not going to fool them. You're not going to hide things from them. Uh, it's just determining what you want to put an accent on. And my determination was I was going to do something positive, something light, and hopefully something funny. I, I, what I think, when I always think of watching you on TV, you're you're so known for your your one-liners, and, yeah. and I think of pasta over the puck. And, yeah. and <laughs> when did you start kind of incorporating that? Like you mentioned, oh six and oh seven. Was it that oh seven year? And and yeah. yeah. I would say yes, Alex. I would say that was kind of the time where I started to to do that. Um, I think I had done some before, but I, I I I felt like when you're working in the NHL that you had to sort of be hello there, good evening, everyone, like very sort of prim and proper, straightforward. It was about getting stats out and information, but not putting necessarily. Uh, a lighthearted spin to it. And I think sometimes that gets lost and I understand why, because you got lines and you got props and you're dressed up and people might go, I didn't really know what he said. Actually, <laughs> What did he say? He was, you know, he was dressed up as a hot dog, for example. It's yeah. kind of, you sort of lose people's uh, attention to detail when you do that kind of stuff. But uh, at the end of it, I'm, I'm still delivering information numbers but just trying to do it in, in a different way and I think that's kind of where it started and and maybe I should have said this earlier but I really give credit to to uh, the producers and the crew that I've worked with on the hockey games and sportsmen the easy thing for them would have been hey listen you know maybe this is something that could could work but you just you know just straight and narrow let's just keep it going in the same direction as other people and let's not worry about being funny or wearing costumes or using props and you know and I would have been all right like I get that it was it was uh, safer to do it that way uh, but they've really given me uh, a wonderful opportunity to use creativity now it doesn't always come across it doesn't always work I, I i feel like in many ways uh, i'm not a stand-up comic but you have your routine mm -hmm. sometimes the routine works and sometimes you know it doesn't and i i understand that 
Uh, I nowadays it's funny with social media because you'll you'll do whatever you do, and then right away people are going, "Oh, that was good," or "Oh, that was terrible." That guy should be off TV, or however they're responding. Uh, but I, I think sometimes I, I take the approach that I just want to get a response, which tells me that you know I'll hear I'll, people will say, "Wow, you know I I don't like watching you," and I feel like saying, just turn the channel. Like you kind of know I'm on in the intermissions, you know I'm on in the pregame, you know I'm on postgame. Yeah. Pretty pretty simple to to to, to kind of cut me out of their life. So maybe in some ways they they want to watch even if they don't like it. So, but that's kind of the background of, of uh, why it started and when it started. Uh, like I, I know also like to that Jack Michaels, like the the Oilers play by play announcer, said yeah. that you have this natural instinct for the right thing to do or to say, uh, and and you've mentioned how you approach your players. Uh, uh, sorry, interviewing players. I, I guess what what other techniques do you use to be such an effective? interview and broadcaster as you mentioned levity and bringing fun but what else yeah and that's a that's a really nice thing for for jack to say and it really is about knowing kind of the right time the right place um because sometimes it's it is all about timing you may have something that if you said it an hour later or a day later would be just fine but maybe if you say it at that time it it isn't I, i think one of the things i found with with athletes to be honest with you alex you don't you don't need to kind of pinpoint their mistakes. They're generally the first one to come out and say that they've they've made a mistake. Uh, what happened on the goal against? That's just you know say like you know what happened on that that last goal at the end of the period. Almost always that player will say, well, you know, I I I didn't see the guy coming up the middle. I shouldn't have made that pass. As opposed to saying, what happened on that last play? Did you not see that guy coming up the middle? To me, that's a it's it's not like harsh, but it's just a little more edgy instead of basically kind of handing it over to him and going, okay, here's the question. Now I'm going to give it to you. And honestly, almost all the time that player will fess up and be honest to describe the play because you often hear it, Alex, uh, these athletes, they are their own worst critics. Nobody can criticize them as much as they do themselves. So when it comes to being honest, a lot of them are just like that. They will explain exactly what what happened for you without you seemingly kind of being not not rude, but, oh, wow, that seems like a really hard question to, to ask when normally you don't have to ask the question and you'll get the same answer or a better answer. And and I guess my last question on that point is, did that that understanding of the moment or time and place, did that develop over time for you or was that pretty? Yeah, yeah. for sure, Alex. And, you know, I've made mistakes uh, that I've asked questions and then someone's come up to me and said, you know, nobody asked that question. And when I replayed it in my mind, I thought, yeah, I, I could see someone looking at it a, a different way. And so that was experience making mistakes, uh, learning along the way. Sometimes no one needed to point it out to you. You just kind of knew, listen, there have been times I've asked a question as I'm finishing it going, man, I wish I could take that back. That wasn't really what I wanted to say or how I wanted to word it. But um, and I think the other thing, Alex, is is through time, like, let's say, let's say me in 2000 asked a question. You're new. People don't really know you. Who knows what kind of response you're going to get? But me in 2022, 22 years after that, 
I, I think you get a little more leeway. People know that even if a question comes across that makes them a little bit uncomfortable, they, they generally know that that isn't the point or the intention. And in fact, sometimes I'll circle back to that player uh, that night, the next day, next time I see them, say, hey, by the way, you know, when I asked you about that question, like what I was angling at is I, I was trying to kind of get this answer. I'm not sure it came across like that. And most of the time, honestly, a lot of times they, they don't even really notice it, but the few times that they do, it really diffuses everything. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I was kind of, I wasn't sure kind of why you asked that, but oh, that's what you're after. And because I have to deal, especially in, in my situation with the Oilers, I, I've had to deal with them almost, uh, you know, 25 years. And yes, the, the players uh, do change, but sometimes you'll end up covering a player for, well, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is the longest serving player. 2011, he was drafted. So here we are, 11 years. And, and before you know it, 12 years later, it's the same guy. And, and I'm like the same guy. And we have to sort of work together. And uh, he, he's been nothing but a delight to deal with. But some of the players that, that hang around a long time, they deal with you for a long, long time. I, I guess what what's it been like to cover Connor McDavid? I mean, he's oh. by far the best player in, in the world. I'd, and, and, and what's that relationship between you guys? Well, I, I, I want to go back to when it started. I, I certainly, uh, you know, he played for the Erie Otters, which is sort of in your neck of the woods. Yeah. And we did, you know, we, we would get a chance to see him uh, during the Memorial Cups and or Memorial Cup as he, he made a run with the Otters. And uh, so, you know, we certainly knew about him. Uh, I didn't think the Otters were going to get him. Uh, then they won the lottery and they did get him. But uh, two, two stories that stand out was... Uh, that that time the, the draft was in Florida and uh, the the baseball players for some reason they, they the hockey players kind of go and take batting practice they, yeah. they've done that a few times I remember Neil Yakupov in Pittsburgh in 2012 did it so anyways we go to that and I do this interview with him right and we're finished and the cameraman goes I double clicked so when he thought he was starting to roll he actually stopped so we didn't get the interview and I'm like are you kidding me? Like, oh my gosh, it's Connor McDavid. So I went back and said, listen, Connor, uh, blah, 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 blah. He's like, okay, let's do it again. So he was very nice. And then uh, later that day, and at this point, I, I don't think he really knows who I am. He, he might go, this guy looks kind of familiar. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Uh, we we're in line at the, at the hotel and there's like, there's, there's sort of two lines, but one service agent. So, because one had left and then we're at the front of each line and the service agent goes who's next so i'm thinking well, i'm not going to jump in front of mcdavid like i can't do that so i go well no you go and he's like no 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 you you go and i go no 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 you you go first you were here first no no you were here first i'm thinking okay we better someone better go i go well i'm not going to be first overall you go and he goes no you should go because you know i just think that it's your turn so finally i said you know what Thanks, Connor. I really appreciate that. And I'll go first, you know, kind of age before beauty type approach. So those are a couple of my literally within probably 12 hours of meeting him. Those are the two instances I've had. And he's a he's a really nice young man. I, I, I've seen him grow from a teenager uh, into a guy who in January will turn 26. So that's a that's a big chunk of his life, an important chunk of his life. And yeah, I, I got nothing but good dealings with him, to be honest with you. And I found this season he's really uh, I feel like he maybe because the team went as far as they did to the Western Conference final. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on him. And, and I know he does such amazing things that people maybe forget that there's a, there's a whole team, uh, a whole organization, a whole league 
that uh, he, he carries in some way, shape or form. Uh, so I, I found this year he seems maybe more relaxed. And, and I believe, Alex, that's just part of growing up. Yeah. It's, you know, he could be an accountant, a lawyer, a uh, school teacher, you know, from 18 to almost 26. That, that's a big chunk of your sort of development as a person. So I, I've always really enjoyed being uh, around him. I had a chance to get to know his family. They're, you know, really nice people. So you can see where it's funny. His dad's a little more serious. Brian, really nice guy, but a little more hockey. And then his mom is a little more Connor, you know, just sort of uh, bubbly and uh, outgoing. And I, I always found it interesting uh, when I would see them after games and, you know, he'd go see his mom first, which I totally get. And, you know, she'd have a smile on her face. And don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that if they didn't win that she's happy, but yeah. it's just her being a mom. But then he would kind of go over and have the hockey time with his dad. And I just thought what a great, uh, back and forth between his uh, his parents uh, that uh, I met uh, years ago and really brought him up in a for a guy who had all this ahead of him. Uh, I think they did a wonderful job of keeping him uh, grounded. Uh, he is not one of those guys. It just seems excessive uh, in 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 just the way he is and what he has and what he does. Um, so it's been nice to see that that he's uh, grown up and uh, you know become the captain at a young age and, and really developed. I think he's a real you know heck of a hockey player uh, in my mind, the best in the league, but a real nice young man. And and before we talk about the Oilers this year, I just want to transition a little bit to like a more serious topic in terms of hockey Canada, and I think. Um, I've thought about this a lot lately and I've, I've asked others who have come on the show and and what for you, Gene, what is the role of sports journalists and kind of matters of matters of abuse, such as the Hockey Canada story, Cal Beach, Akeem Aliou? And does there need to be more an onus on sports journalists to delve into these stories and not just focus on the on uh, field or on ice uh, stories? Great question, Alex. I don't know if I have an answer for you. I think. I think just like on, on, on teams, different people have different roles and different people carry different weight, whether, you know, uh, depends on readers or followers or airtime. I don't know what to say on that because I'm, you know, when I first started, uh, sports guys didn't cover news. You just covered sports. Even if there was like a sports happening uh, that crossed over with news, we they would send news people to cover it. So it's a difficult one and it's a it's a very uh, I don't want to say awkward topic but very sensitive uh, and very important so I, I think one of the things guys like me get into is I, I'm not exactly sure what I can and can't say uh, that's part of it when it when it's initially occurring and then it's what do you want to say and what do we know and how much is opinion how much is what you believe it's really a difficult topic um and i know like i was supposed to actually fly out to ottawa i can't remember it was kind of when the hearing started with hockey canada and i was not looking forward to it to be honest with you i i like light i like happy um that doesn't describe what what happened so but i was ready kind of for the challenge of of covering that uh, it turned out the assignment got changed and, you know, I was a little bit relieved just because it's serious stuff. You know, you can't 
you know, make a joke about it. Like mm -hmm. we can about many of the things that I do. So um, I, I know, I, I know some journalists, it's, it's like anything, we all have our roles. And I think some journalists want to cover that, can cover that, do cover it. And then there's some that just haven't really had the opportunity to do it and maybe don't want that as well. So, but, but I certainly don't think that you can, uh, and I covered the World Juniors here in August. Um, I, I was a bit surprised, to be honest with you, Alex, that it didn't have more of a flavor of what had been going on with hockey camp okay. it, it was virtually uh, hockey related and i i was okay with that but if sportsnet my bosses uh if things broke uh during that that tournament that would have kind of forced me to cover the the real story or the big story i would have had to have done it so i and, and just to, to for a bit of a background i covered the humble bus crash okay so um different but uh, traumatic, uh, life-changing, life-altering, life-ending uh, for so many kids, so many families. And that is hard news and serious stuff. So different, mm -hmm. but that was a real challenge for me in my broadcasting life. In fact, real quick, it was the, the bus crash happened uh, on, on my daughter's birthday. We were out. Oh. And, and, and then with social media, it started to grow. And, and the next night, which was Saturday night, was actually the, the Sedin's last night. Uh, the retirement, you know, they've been around a long time and our work said, yeah, that's a big story, but you got to go to Humboldt. And I ended up in Saskatoon, uh, located outside the hospital, uh, oh. hour after hour, day after day, just trying to report what you see, what you heard, what you found out. Um, so it was a, a, a real a sobering experience uh, when when news, hard news, serious stuff crosses over into sports. Well, I thank you for for your answer to my question on a, a serious topic, and I thank you for kind of giving an eloquent uh, uh, answer. I, I wanted to move to, to to some more levity, Gene, and uh, and talk about the Oilers um, sure. and and how they've been doing this year. They obviously, as you mentioned earlier, they made the conference finals, um, but I'd say they probably haven't had the greatest start to the year. And, and, and just maybe what are your thoughts about their start to the year this season? Yeah, I think it was, you know, they, they kind of bolted out of the gate, bolted not necessarily right out of the gate to start, but, you know, seven wins in the first 10 games, you're going, okay, it's kind of what we, we expect. And not only them, but everybody's watching now. I mean, everybody watched with Connor and Leon to start with. But now they were watching not just to see what kind of points they put up or what kind of end-to-end -end rush Connor would have or what kind of backhand sauce that Leon would put on a pass that would go, you know, 60 feet and land right on his teammates' tape. So they were watching for the team and thought they'd come out of the gate quick and then have hit sort of a up and down. You know, consistency's been the catch word, I guess it's kind of win one, lose one, win one, lose one, trying to get back on track. So it, it hasn't been quite the start that they expected, but I, I will say this, having been in the room, uh, they, I've seen teams with a better record, more worried than this current version of the Oilers. So I, I just think they, they feel like they've got this. They, they have some things to work on and it, it's not easy the other thing I would say, Alex, uh, and it was always there with Connor and Leon, but I, I feel like it was more individual matchups, like the defense pairings watching those guys over the, the centermen 
shadowing Connor or Leon, where now I feel like that the entire opposing team is going, hey, watch out for this club. Uh, we got to get on them. Conference finalists. Yeah, they got those two great players, but they got a good sporting cast. So I feel like it's kind of switched from being an individual stoppage of the two players I spoke of to more of trying to stop the entire team. But I, I really enjoy Jay Woodcroft. Uh, I find him to be inspirational mm-hmm. with uh, with what he says and how he talks and how he treats people. And I, I coach my daughter's soccer team, and I, I love using some of his stuff with them. I'm not sure they do, but I, I just find that, uh, that Jay's about players and about uh, winning percentage, but he's really about people as well, which makes, I think, in pro sports for a great combination. Um, I guess... I want to just ask a little bit about McDavid this year yeah. first, because he's what I think he has seven, 15 goals in 17 games. I got that right. And yeah. he's close to a goal a game. Yeah. Ace, and him and Dreisaitl had maybe not this, this level of a start last year, but a very, very good start and dipped for those, for their standards. Do you think this goal scoring pace for, for McDavid and also Dreisaitl in terms of just points is a more of a blip? Or do you think this is going to be something consistent over the year where McDavid maybe gets 60 goals? Uh, I think it's going to be that. Uh, one thing about Connor, and, and he's very similar to, to Crosby, they work at their game. And I, I, I honestly believe that Connor already could have had 50 goals, but just in his mindset, he, you know, and he's had over 40, so I don't want to say like he's been a 22-goal scorer. He's He's been very close, and I think he could have uh, got there if he had a certain mindset of not being so nice and sharing, you know. Uh, and I, I like the way Jay Woodcroft put it. When you have the best player in the game, you, you leave it in his hands. If he thinks he's got a better chance to score than pass, then he'll do that. If he thinks it's better off for a teammate to receive a pass, uh, then he'll do that. But I, I just think he's a little more... Uh, not goal hungry, but he wants what's best for the team. And sometimes that's him shooting and sometimes that's him passing. And I feel like this year he's felt more and more like it's him shooting. And that is in that particular instance, that particular play against that team right now, what's best for our team is for me to shoot the puck. And he's got a really good wrist shot. Like I think it's kind of been deceiving. Uh, Leon's got a great one timer. And so he sort of gets talked about his shot, and, and rightfully so. But Connor, Connor's really worked on his shot as well. I know the guys used to joke that he had like a muffin, uh, <laughs> but but he he can when when he's coming down the ice and he's got sort of that defensive in front of him, he can really rip that wrist shot. So uh, I I think he's going to hit between fifty and sixty goals, and I think he's going to be in that one thirty five one forty five point area. I just you know I I would say this, Alex. Uh, and I've been watching him since he was a rookie, which is 2015. And I'm not saying at, at that stage I thought he could do what he's doing now. But he does great stuff like at every level and every year. So he didn't, even though he, he broke his collarbone and missed uh, 37 games, he was unbelievable in the games that he played. And then you can see him just grow and grow. And this year, I got to admit, I kind of, you know, after last year, you're like, how much? How much better can this guy get? How many more points can he put up? Well, he can get better and he can put up more points. So, uh, but what's interesting is those two guys, they could care less about, they've won trophies and they get honored. And 
they get back, you know, Pats for all this and all stars. And, uh, you know, th these guys are going to do this for X amount of years, but they really want to win. And I, I love that in them because I think sometimes uh, it's something that's said, but not really necessarily done. But in the case of Connor and Leon, for sure it's done. In like obviously they want to win and, and the goaltending position is obviously a big component of that. And Jack Campbell, as you know, came came here, uh, came to Edmonton on that five-year, $25 million deal. I wouldn't say he's been that good this year. Are you worried, Gene, or do you think he'll he'll come back and play really well in the playoffs, similar to what he did in with the Leafs? Yeah, I think that the nice thing is that Jack's had time to to work on his game when things haven't gone well for him. And I mean, I felt bad for him the Saturday afternoon game against Dallas when he said, "Oh, I'm pathetic." I thought, "Oh, you know, you you got to be in a, a in a low frame of mind at that moment to to say that about yourself." Um, yeah, I felt bad for him. I really did. But he strikes me as a young man, and he really wants to. To, you know the, the organization goes out like they did uh, for him and and for them, and spends that uh, kind of money on him, and he, he wants to produce. So uh, and I think that he will. I I'm not I'm not worried about him, even though I I know that he can obviously be a sensitive guy regarding how he feels, how he wants to help his teammates. But I don't have any doubts that he's going to be. He's going to be just fine. And that it's nice that they have Stuart Skinner, you know, a young up and coming goalie who's been able to kind of take the pressure off and let Jack, you know, work on his game if he needs to and, and just get himself ready to return to net uh, as they get set for a trip to New York. So it hasn't been the way he would have liked for certain, but I, I'm not worried like, oh my gosh, you know, what's yeah. going to happen to this guy? I, I don't have any of those concerns at all. And and I I wanted to to move a little bit to the forward depth and and they've they have players like Puyarvi, Yamamoto, Holloway, all these all these former first round picks who probably this year haven't done as well as people might think. Do you think those kinds of depth players need to really produce for the Oilers to be a, a true Stanley Cup contender this year? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, there's no doubt that they they need that depth. Uh, Unlike basketball, where you know LeBron can play forty-five minutes, or Steph can play forty-two or forty-four, and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, and you know Andrew Wiggins to, yeah. to mention a Canadian guy. Like basketball, to me, is a whole different sport. Like hockey, you got to have if you don't have twenty guys going, you got to have at least I don't know fifteen, sixteen. I mean, you can't get away with six or four, even if you have the talent that Connor and Leon have. And there's some other pretty good players on the team too. You know, Zach Hyman's a talented player, and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, and Darnell Nurse is a good player as well. And Evander Kane, who unfortunately is injured yeah. right now, they they have some talent on the team, but they really do need everybody. And I think that's one of the things that is learned uh, as you get to a team and you start to settle in with a franchise that Connor could get 150 points this year, but if there's other people who aren't doing what they're supposed to do, it's going to look good. It's going to win them an Art Ross, but I don't know what more will do than that. And I think that's why Connor and Leon, the individual stuff, it's nice, you know, okay, thank you, but it's all about the team. It's all about the team getting to the playoffs and then once they get there, accomplishing something. And how do you how do, how do you see their, their decor shaping up 
kind of as a for the playoffs right now? Yeah, well, I, I think they lost Duncan. Well, I know they lost Duncan Keith, and I think that hurt them just that experience and a guy who could still play 20 minutes a game, you know, in a regular game. Um, I, I actually don't mind their defense. I, I think it's actually quite nicely set up. Uh, mm-hmm. I like Evan Bouchard, uh, the Bouch bomb, they call him. Good player, young player, uh, of course. Um, I like Nurse. He, he does kind of a little bit of everything, including, you know, when Connor McDavid got kneed by Alex Edler in the game against the LA Kings, Darnell made a beeline. Uh, to Edler to go, hey, wait a minute, you don't get to do that to our captain. Uh, CC's a good fit. I wasn't sure. I, you know, Cody CC's a guy that I that I knew of and watched a bit, but he he's played his whole career out east. So see him once a year, twice a year. It was hard to really have a your own personal scouting report. Kulak, Brett Kulak, uh, Tyson Berry. Um, yeah, I, I think they have a pretty solid defense. To be honest with you, uh, there's no. I was going to use Bobby Orr, but there there is no other Bobby Orr. Bill Kale McCarr, yeah. right? But uh, not many, you know, Kale McCarr, Victor Hedman would be two guys. Drew Doughty, who may or may not still be that player, but certainly once was and still might be. Those guys, you know, there's just a handful. Eric Carlson, who's had a comeback year now uh, for San Jose. But finding those guys is is really tough. So I like the fact that Nurse is a real solid, really good number one defenseman. And then they have other players to kind of fill in and uh, make it a defense that I think is is actually quite good. I, I guess my question to you to follow up is they, they haven't traded their first round pick in this little era of them making to the playoffs or whatever the bubble playoffs yeah. was as well. Um do do you do you think they'll do that this year? And and where would you shore up? Would it be the defense, the forward group? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, the forward group, you're always you know, there's 12 of them, so you you always seem to be short on that. But I I, I don't know what is more imperative to the Oilers. Nurses around for a while, CC's around for a while. Barry still has time left on his contract. So does Brett Kulak. Evan Bouchard, I don't think, is is going anywhere. And then you're into the seventh, eighth defenseman, a Ryan Murray or a Marcus Niemelainen. And so I, I think I just talked myself into up front. I, I think up front is, and I, I say, you know, uh, Yamamoto's healthy, Kane, Dreisaitl, McDavid, Hyman. That's at least five of your top six, which I think is is a reasonable way to describe it. But you're always looking, you, you know, Alex, in the playoffs, it's it's not always the star players that are the ones that lead you to a cup. And uh, a lot of times you, you get this role player, you're like, wow, what a run this guy's on. And, and certainly we saw that in 06 with Fernando Pisani. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14 goals, five assists. I mean, unbelievable yeah. uh, what he was able. And because they, they had played, they played seven, they played uh, five against Anaheim, six against San Jose, six, six, five, and um, 12, 19, 24 games. Yeah. They had 14 goals in the playoffs where, you know, it's two, three, four, five more difficult uh, times to to score. So you never know who's going to come up. But I, I think, you know, the others have a good team. The others have a good team. And I guess Ken Holland would be the guy along with his staff to figure out, okay, what do we have to tinker with to be just, you know, that much better or that much better, whatever it is we think we need to eventually get to the cup final and win it. And I guess for you, Gene, are they, are they a cup contender as, as currently constructed? 
I believe that they are. I believe that they do have to, you know, do some tinkering with what they have. To me, this is a team that that I look at right now and say, well, that's with the, with Kane healthy and Yamamoto healthy. I mean, there's nothing saying to me that these guys don't finish second or first in their division and that they would be uh, as likely as almost anybody else other than maybe Colorado because they're the cup champs to get to the Eastern final so or Western final and then eventually – uh, meet up with the team from the East. So uh, I, I like what they have. And I, I think teams are just, they're gung-ho about playing the Oilers. Yeah. And that's something that I, I, I think you can ready yourself for, but you have to actually get in there and get going on it to fully understand it. And I think that's where the Oilers are kind of at right now. Mm-hmm. I guess before I, before I let you go, and, and thanks so much for co- coming on, what are you going to do if the Oilers win the cup in the next huh. four years? Are you going to dress up as a Stanley cup or a puck <laughs> or even like a, even a Connor McDavid uh, mascot or something like that? I like all of the above. Can I take D? <laughs> uh, I always kind of joke because I'm, I'm 55 now and Connor's 25. And I always kind of laugh and think, well, if he plays 10 more years, like I honestly, uh, I, I wouldn't say this to him now because he's still a long ways knock on wood from retiring. But, you know, if he got into his 30s and say, hey, kid, young man, let me know when you're thinking of retiring. Because if I can if I can stretch this out uh, and continue to work, I, I might try and retire when you retire and say that I, I kind of covered all of McDavid's games from start to finish. I was there, broken collarbone, uh, Art Ross trophies, Hart trophies, hopefully Stanley Cups. Yeah, and, and maybe I'd write a book about it one day. Well, thank you so much, Gene, for coming on. This was a blast, and uh, yeah. You're welcome, Alex. I I appreciate the time. Fantastic you're doing this, and uh, continued success to you, uh, not only when you're doing your podcast, but in everything else that you're doing as well. Thank you so much, Gene.